As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. High in the air, Brito back at the wall, adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 142 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. And Andy, 142 pitches combined for the Giants in game five of the 2002 NLCS. That was the game in which they won the pennant. Their pitchers combined to throw 142 pitches. How about that? Wow. How did you even begin to look that one up? That's baseball reference. All this stuff is just me goofing around on baseball <laughs> reference. But it, uh, it was a, it's a funny game because Kirk Reeder started. Uh, you, you Everyone remembers Kenny Lofton and David Bell, and, and it's uh, a lot of excitement. The two pitchers for the Cardinals, can you guess who those two pitchers were? Well, uh, yes, I do know this because there was a photo of um, David Bell sliding in and David Bell became the Giants farm director. And then you had um, Mike Matheny behind the plate who became the Giants catcher. And the pitcher on the mound was Steve Klein, who became (laughs) um, a Giant for many years and then then a, a Giants minor league coach for many years. And he's resigning his post uh, in, uh, I believe, in Richmond uh, shortly, uh, maybe after another month or two, and he's going to become a college coach. So good for good for him. And I believe the first pitcher, very underrated, he's a tenacious start, was, was Matt Morris, and he also became a Giant. Exactly, yeah. It was just a very Giants-Cardinals uh, team. It's uh, if you can't beat them, join them sort of thing. And uh, yeah, another fun note about that is that uh, Felix Rodriguez allowed the only run for the Giants in that game, and that would be the last run he would allow in the postseason because the World Series was canceled. Yes, of course. No World Series that year. And are, are you saying that all ex-Cardinals have to become Giants? Is that the rule? It's it's definitely a vibe. I mean, you it, the guy with uh, two hits in that game was Edgar Renteria. Uh, ah. So it is, uh, you know, it's one of those things. It's just the Cardinals found their way over. It's kind of like the Rockies have this really rich legacy of random ex-Giants backup catchers. Uh, I, I mean, I can't go through them now, but it's like Bryant Johnson. You've got 
got uh, Bob Mel. I mean, just a lot of randoms that have cycled from the Giants. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's a really long list. I need to catalog it. Um, but that is definitely five X Cardinals on the Giants. So basically, the Dodgers and Giants will get together on a trade that will send Albert Pujols to San Francisco at some point. Uh, you know what? We're at uh, center field. There I'm you gonna go. say. <laughs> right. Albert Pujols, Steven Duggar. I mean, they're kind of a trade off there. That's why no one makes me the manager, because there would be a game, you know, eighth inning of a blowout. It's like, Albert, go out to center, you know, just just for just for gets and shiggles, as they yeah. say. Yeah, uh, I, right. I hope I hope you have two Olympian sprinters in, in both outfield corners. <laughs> all right, but we are not here to talk about the 2002 Giants, which we seem to do at the beginning of several episodes. We're here to talk about the 2021 Giants, who just keep freaking winning. Uh, every The last time we talked, the Giants had just completed a sweep of the Diamondbacks. Now they have uh, summarily thumped the Phillies for two out of three games. Uh, six and one homestand, pretty good. I mean, what's crazy is that they're spreading it all around. I mean, if you look at the, who hit the home runs, what was it, sixteen home runs on the homestand, and it was it was all spread around. Mike Yastrzemski had had three. Wilmer Flores had a two homer game. Uh, Brandon Crawford is still hitting. Um, you know, Lamont Wade Jr. hit hit uh, uh, home runs. So it's 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 everybody. And you know, they've got uh, Alex Dickerson coming back. They've got Darren Ruff coming back. They've still got Evan Longoria out. Uh, they've got Tommy Listella who will be eligible to, to come off the 60-day injured list uh, the first week of July. But, yeah, you wonder, you know, how are they going to make up for all these players they're missing? Instead, they just find ways to generate new momentum with, with, with other guys. I mean, can you take Steven Duggar out of the lineup? Can you take Lamont Wade Jr. off the roster? I, I don't I don't see it. Now, Brandon, Brandon Crawford, after his four-RBI game uh, to beat the Phillies on, uh, on Sunday— he is on pace for 108 RBIs, which would be the most by a giant since Barry Bonds in 2002. We're back to 2002. <laughs> it always comes back. It's the horseshoe theory. Um, yeah, it, it is remarkable. After the Giants scored three runs in a four-game series against the Nationals, I, uh, you know, I... I have a very low risk job, but I still I stuck my neck out a little bit to say, hey, listen, I don't think the Giants offense is this bad. And here's why it's uh, this guy's not hitting. This guy's not hitting. Uh, eventually, they'll probably start hitting. Even if you take away some of the gains from the overall, the players who are doing really well, there's still a lot of ceiling here. And it, granted, it was against the Diamondbacks and the Phillies are a solid enough team, uh, but they just started pounding the ball and they're pounding the ball at home. And it's a lot of the players that we have been talking about on this podcast who haven't done a ton, whether it's Wilmer Flores, whether it's Mike Yastrzemski, and it's a cavalcade of players who, when they do it, you're not surprised. You know, when Wilmer Flores has a two-homer game, when he's starting to swing it well, it's not like, where did this guy come from? You've seen it before. Other teams have seen it before. He's done it for, for years, you know, stretches here and there. Yastrzemski, we've seen it before. We've seen him do it time and time again. So when these players start to get hot, it's not as if it's like, I don't know what, you know, Navy Perez all of a sudden has a five homer game. Uh, you know, it's it's not like that. It's 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 sensible. And that's how the Giants are scoring runs right now. 107 home runs. They're tied with the Toronto Blue Jays for the most home runs in the major leagues. I mean, that's unbelievable. We're not through like two weeks of the season. I mean, it's, we're getting to the point where we're starting to close in on the halfway mark. And 
107 home runs. It's astounding. I mean, obviously they're hitting a ton of them on the road, and you wrote about that, you know, just how remarkable that's been. But, I mean, they just crushed it on this last homestand. And, uh, you know, there will be some things. They'll take the wind cloth out uh, when when we see the Giants at home again. So it'll be interesting to see if there's going to be any impacts from that. But we all talked about, oh, well, the ballpark plays differently because they started the season in uh, in July last year and not in, in April. Well, guess what? They started this season in April, and they're still hitting in their ballpark. So, yeah, it really is remarkable just how well they're playing home and road and 107 home runs. It's crazy. 107 home runs. Uh, that is the exact number that the 2013 Giants hit uh, in a 162-game season. It's actually more than the 2012 Giants hit all year. The 2012 Giants hit 103 home runs. The 2021 Giants have hit 107, and uh, they still have a few games left. It's it is it, like you said. It's we've watched a lot of Giants, and we've seen different permutations of good Giants and bad Giants. Uh, I don't remember seeing this Giants team without Barry Bonds. I mean, do you remember in the not-so-distant past when the top right-handed home run hitter uh, in San Francisco in their ballpark was Will Myers. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> he had more homers than any giant did in, in one season, 2017 or 16 or whatever that was. But, uh, but yeah, now you've got, uh, you've got guys who just know how to f- hit f- the ballparks functional for them. It's uh, it really is uh, remarkable. 45 homers overall uh, at home. And like Steven Duggar's hitting 365 at home. Uh, you know, Brandon Belt's hitting 321. Uh, Buster's got four home runs already at home. Belt's got seven home runs. Crawford and Belt both have seven home runs at home. Uh, so, yeah, it's uh, up and down the lineup. You've got guys who who know how to compete in that ballpark, and that's really a good sign. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When I wrote about the Giants' uh, strange home road home run differential, uh, there were a couple of people who I felt missed the point because they were saying they thought that I was saying the Giants aren't hitting home runs at home. And, you know, and that's the reason for the the discrepancy. No, the article kind of goes to show they're actually hitting a lot of home runs at home compared to what they usually do. And it just so happens that they're going bananas on the road. Well, since that, they started going bananas at home. So it's just this is just a home run hitting team team and we we saw that last year this is almost like a uh uh, a caricature of, of that idea that they're just going to be, you know, a three true outcomes kind of team. They are hitting so many home runs and they're doing it at home. Is it the ballpark? I mean, it, you know, I know they feel more comfortable there, but it it can't all be the, the dimensions because the dimension changes weren't that s- severe. I mean, the dimension changes certainly have had an impact. I think one other thing that we don't talk about as often, but the players talk about is the batter's eyes better. There's less glare off that batter's eye, especially for, you know, the games that start uh, when it's still uh, light outside and, 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 and maybe you get that, that super late afternoon, like 6 p.m., 7 p.m. sun uh, gl- glaring off that batter's eye. It creates a lot of, of, of reflection and glare, and they've, they've changed it. They've reconfigured it, and uh, you know what? It's, if you even look at when they're scoring in games, they're outscoring teams in the first couple innings and getting leads. 
you know, that that may correlate to to just how uh, they're hitting at home and having a better hitting background may be something small that that's having a significant effect. That might be one of the most underrated factors to offense, uh, whether it's high offense, low offense, but the the batting eye. And it's just because it's it's hard for me to process because I've never stood in uh, against a major league pitcher when I can't quite see the ball for those first couple milliseconds. But it's a big deal. Uh, I remember my old colleague, Jeff Sullivan, when Jared Weaver was a, a star pitcher for the Angels, he was showing that the way his release was was perfect for the rocks in the the center field of of anaheim that he just was hiding the ball on the rocks basically and it was impossible to pick up because he had this arm slot that was perfectly attuned to that ballpark and it just it was such an eye-opener because you don't think of that stuff and it might be if not like one of the most important i could see it being like one of the most important factors into what makes a good offensive ballpark you kind of wonder what about a tyler rogers i mean he's throwing mm-hmm. from such a different spot such a different release point what's the like hitting background uh how is it different for for him versus a conventional pitcher maybe it's the same i don't know like you said i haven't st- stood in the box if i did i would look very much like santiago casilla with my heels <laughs> right on that back shock line I'd, I'd, I'd give a good tug and adjust my adult diaper and, and get ready uh, to see some pitches um but uh yeah it, it, you you wonder if, if uh, tyler rogers release point is uh, also something that that takes advantage of maybe a different hitting background now if you put the ball in, in play like santiago casilla would you bust it down the line i would and i you better believe that i would absolutely rip my hamstring i would rip the hell out of it <laughs> i'd blow out a hamstring in my elbow like i don't i know i don't have a hamstring in my elbow but like i'd blow it out anyways i <laughs> running 90 feet uh, that is not something i do these days but yeah it is the ballpark is fascinating to me because you can it's such an obvious uh delineation where it's before they changed the dimensions the giants couldn't hit at home and after uh they changed it well now they're they're an offensive juggernaut at home so it's very easy to make that correlation and my brain wants to make that correlation but then you look at the actual like I know they took in triples alley a little bit and, and you know, you know, they moved in center field a little bit, but it wasn't like they turned that place into the Baker Bowl. It is just it, it's like a functional ballpark that took some of the edges off. I just can't see it being entirely responsible. No, I mean, obviously, the, it also correlates with a new hitting group coming in with mm. with them being able to have another year to, you know, uh, populate the roster with players that uh, sort of fit their uh, paradigm. I mean, you know, they, they, even some of the tougher calls they had to make, or or, or calls that the, a lot of fans uh, were not popular with a lot of fans, like you know Kevin Pillar. Well, you know, he, he was probably their best offensive player um, in 2019, and then they subtracted him, and uh, because he doesn't really walk and he strikes out a lot. And and what happened? They ended up having the one of the biggest year-over-year offensive improvements in major league history. I think the third biggest ever. So. Um, yeah, I, th- I think a lot of it has to go do with personnel and, and probably coaching, too. Yeah, no, that's a good point. It, is, it just seems like I know that, that we're not able to be in the clubhouse, and, and that's especially uh, detrimental to the way you used to like process and talk and get the feel of the clubhouse. Uh, so I, I'm going to ask a question. I'm not sure if you have the answer to it because you haven't had the ability are players still buying into this uh, armada of coaches? Uh, do you think that the players are still like, heck yes, you know, this uh, really extensive expanded coaching staff is working? Is, is there buy-in on that end? I think so. I mean, it's it's hard to really know, but I haven't heard anyone sort of grumble. I mean, we are able to talk to players on the field now 
And um, it seems like it's just a very positive vibe around the team, which, I mean, you know, they've got the best record in the National League. They're, they're, they're <laughs> playing great. It's, it's a lot of fun to go to the ballpark and, and, and win ball games and shake hands. But, uh, um, but yeah, it's, it, you really do get a sense that, that uh, there is, this is a happy group and, and a group that, that really is sort of focused on the task at hand and, and feels like they're getting what they need from the coaches. And, and that, that's one of the things that Gabe Kapler has talked about is that, you know, hey, you know, it's, it's not like we're going to bombard you um, with three different hitting coaches in your ear all the time. It's more like, you know, if you like a certain flavor of information, uh, you know, we're going to give you, he calls it menu options. We're going to give you different menu options. And then you can reach out to this coach or that coach. And, and, uh, um, and whether it's Kai Correa or, or it's, um, you know, Justin Veely, uh, or maybe you want to talk about sort of something that's with a little more kinesiology aspect for how to get, get a body part to fire a little bit in your swing. You talk to Dustin Lind. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, I, I do think that they're, the, the guys aren't overwhelmed. I will say... There's one thing that's kind of interesting, and that is, um, you know, the state has loosened up now. We're almost back to, you know, kind of pre-pandemic, um, uh, like, regular times, right? And that's going to include, you know, more social stuff, going out at night, you know, doing all the things that ball players will do extracurricularly, whereas before they were all, you know, in a bubble in their hotel rooms with nothing to do but, you know, look over information and 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 do their homework and, and all this stuff. I wonder if if uh, any of that will be a distraction. I kind of think not, but it will be interesting. Yeah, that goes back to the point that we've brought up on the, on the podcast before. Uh, it's a 26-man roster, very few turds. Uh, and I don't even know if there are any. Like, it just see, you go down the list of players on the Giants roster, and it, it's just like, oh yeah, that guy seems like a solid guy who gets along with other teammates. That guy seems like a solid guy who gets along with his teammates. You're right down the line, you you'll have different personalities. I'm sure some of them, uh, you, you know, clash at some point. But the Giants, they seem to have a team that is that has a lot of buy-in, that has a lot of professionalism. It, it seems like a team with few turds. You know, when Buster Posey is turkey tapping Johnny Cueto in the handshake line. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good indication that they're having some fun. Yeah, that is a good indication that they're that is good. And, you know, there are guys that we don't know. And I, let, let's talk about one right now um, because his story sure is good. And I'm buying in uh, with the stuff. And that's Sammy Long. The last time we talked, we were saying, why don't you build the whole starting pitcher out of Sammy Long and, <laughs> you know, not use him as this extended reliever? Well, they, they gave him his first career start on Sunday. And my gosh, does he look like a major league pitcher? I mean, that's just, that's my scouting report. It's not very professional, but uh, he looks like a major league pitcher. It's amazing. The guy was out of baseball. Uh, he was starting to take uh, EMT classes, thinking about becoming a paramedic or a fire, fireman. And, uh, you know, did the, the sort of the workout thing in a driveline type seminar and uh, or, or driveline type uh, environment. Started throwing harder and, um, you know, and the White Sox had him for a year. But then he's a minor league free agent, and the Giants were on him. They were totally on him. They, they, uh, uh, and you know, we, we tend to give Farhan a lot of credit for everything or Scott Harris, but there's a lot of talented people in this front office. And in Sammy Long's case, this wasn't Farhan, you know, just looking at a piece of paper and the name jumped out. Okay, we need to get this guy because he does this well. This was some deep scouting work, and this is Zach Manassian. This is Paul Bean, who does a lot of the analytics work. Uh, they liked a lot of things that they saw analytically with what he did in 2019 with the White Sox. And Jeremy Shelley, who's a guy who we don't talk about a lot, but has been with the Giants for you know, three decades and uh, and, and is, is just uh, 
uh, you know, he, he graduated with a finance degree from Santa Clara. He started as a, a baseball ops intern, literally worked from the ground up. And he's not just a guy who is, you know, doing contracts and, and administrative stuff. He will go out and he'll put on his scouting hat and he loves to evaluate players. And he's pretty good at it. And uh, uh, a guy that we don't talk about a lot, but he was all in on Sammy Long. And he was probably the driving force. Uh, and, and the guy, you know, got an invitation to big league camp when he hadn't pitched above a ball and the giants gave him that he didn't ask for it. I thought, you know, when they get, put him uh, in big league camp, I thought, well, gosh, this guy had to have other offers and had some leverage. No, the giants just said, Hey, we think this guy's good enough and close enough to the big leagues that we want him in big league camp. So, you know, hats off to them because this is, this is as, as deep a find and as potentially valuable a find as any that we've talked about. Yeah. I'm looking at his stuff on a uh, baseball savant. And when you go to the curveball heat map, it looks like how a pitching coach might paint that heat map where you've got curveballs going down below the zone. You've got curveballs right at the bottom of the zone. The ones that are going to get called strikes. And then you have just not a ton uh, from the, the top half, at all. I mean, he's throwing the curveball the way you want it. He's spiking them on the 0-2 counts, on the 1-2 counts. He's uh, getting ahead with the curveball. It's one of the better pitches that I have seen in a long time from a Giants pitcher. It reminds me of when uh, Kevin Gosman, like, his, you, you saw his split finger and you're like, whoa, that's different. That's unique. It's it's such a slap in the face, this this one pitch, that it just it makes me irrationally optimistic. And, uh, and it had to be a lot of fun for him to strike out Reese Hoskins, uh, second at bat. First at bat, he walked him a couple of pitches. He didn't get the calls on that were pretty darn close. And then Real Muto hits the homer. Um, only runs he gave up uh, the whole day. And then he gets Hoskins the next time, and he, he just rainbows him with that curveball. And uh, they played together at Sacramento State for one year. I think Reese was a, a junior when, when uh, Long was a freshman. So, um, yeah, you saw a little head nod back and forth, and that, that had to be a lot of fun for him. <laughs> oh, man, that, that does have to be a ton of fun. Now, you're talking about... Uh, you're talking about the idea that Long was uh, kind of, you know, they had the technology to rebuild him. And they, they you know, with the driveline stuff, you can take pitchers who have the raw talent and you can really refine it in a way that you couldn't even if, you know, five years ago. There's just a whole industry, cottage industry built on making uh, talented pitchers, successful pitchers. Are there pitchers in the past where you think like I, this is kind of random, but. Do you have a picture in mind where you just wish that he could have gone to driveline to add a couple miles per hour, or a little bit extra spin or or something like that throughout history who could have benefited with that kind of attention? You know, do you think Tim Linscombe could have been even better? I, I kind of think not. Gosh. But like, let's optimize what Tim Linscombe already does. Wow. That that would be that would be pretty remarkable. Um, I kind of think not. I think he did probably get the most out of his ability uh, or out of his body anyway. Um but uh, yeah, you know, it's it's it, it really does sort of it's a good lesson because we tend to think, hey, you know, this team is brilliant. They just you know crank out players, they develop players, they take people who are broken and fix them, like you know the Rays. Well, guess what? The Rays had Sammy Long. They tried to make him a side armor because he was throwing he was throwing eighty eight, and uh, um, and it really took the player. Uh, to sort of make a change and say, hey, I'm going to commit myself to to getting in better shape and, and and really trying to figure out what works for me. And that's that's you know, so all credit to Sammy Long for 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 doing that uh, because even he even slipped through the fingers of an organization like the Rays. Uh, um, 
so that that tells you that you know a lot of it starts it starts with the player. I honestly think like Tim Lincecum was that kind of driveline mentality before it existed. Uh, the hyper focus on mechanics, uh, the the realization of here's how I'm getting that velocity, here's the leverage I need. You know that was kind of the story of Lincecum before it was hip. It was just uh, hey, this is how I maximize the talent that is in this you know body comparatively small body uh, in, in when it comes to pitching here's how I get the most out of it. And now it seems like everyone's doing that, but Lenskin was almost ahead of his time. Yeah, I do wonder if, how, how it would be different if, if you know, you go back about 10 years or 15 years, and if some of the pitchers sort of sequenced the way that they do now, where you're just throwing the kitchen sink at them in the first inning. Um, yeah, I, I wonder. I wonder if uh, um, just how different it would be. Um, but then again, you know, a lot of the things the Giants did that we think of as being more of a conventional um, uh, plan, uh, it worked pretty well. I mean, 2012, it, it still amazes me that they had five pitchers start 161 out of 162 games. It's just, <laughs> it's just, you're just not going to see that again. But uh, but it worked, and it worked tremendously well, and they won a World Series. Uh, my choice for a pitcher I want to see get the driveline treatment. Okay, so a pitcher who retired after he was 34 he made 336 starts, only four relief appearances in his career. I want to see what Kirk Reeder could have done with an 88 mile per hour fastball in relief as a loogie, as a as a late inning reliever. I want to see him come back throwing 88 just gas from the left side. That's why I. Huh. How about Bumgarner? What do you think? I mean, I know that the Diamondbacks are trying to get him to buy in to do some different things, and he's you know been a little bit ornery about that. But now after getting. Uh, kind of his head beat in a little bit. He, he was opening up to to their ideas. Um, I yeah, I, I, I wonder. I wonder what uh, what kind of tweaks uh, a driveline type uh, environment. Uh, would come out of, of uh, if Bumgarner were to buy into that. That's an interesting uh, interesting one because it seemed like his velocity, even when he was a minor leaguer, even when he was a teenager, uh, mechanics were so very important to him and his ability to to cut the ball and to get uh, velocity in, in the mid-90s at times. And and yeah, you're right. I, a more refined, a more data-driven approach with that raw arm that didn't have so many innings on it at the time I mean, it's hard to, to look at his career, especially when he's 21, 22, and say, oh, it could have been better. But, like, I don't know. Like, maybe it could have been, instead of, like, one of the best starts to a career ever, the best start to a career ever. It's a good point. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, and we're, we're, we're talking about optimizing the careers of players who were iconic and, and won a lot of World Series championships. So, you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> may, may, maybe we're getting a little greedy. Maybe we're, well, that's, that's what the Giants do. That's what Giants fans have come to expect. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct tv satellite free you see this a family watching baseball on direct tv with no satellite dish in sight let's heckle them you call that changing the channel choke up on the remote buddy i hope getting all these games on direct tv makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds direct tv has the most mlb games visit directtv.com claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher availability of rsns varies by zip code and package high-speed internet service required terms and restrictions apply so the giants are 40 Six and twenty-six. They are in first place of the Nash in the uh, first place in the National League West. They have the best record in baseball. How many times have you been asked uh, in the last couple of weeks? How have you gotten that question? How? Um, you know, not so much, and that's a little bit surprising actually, because it, it is a big how. Uh, but but I think that 
you know, maybe maybe we're starting to get to the point where the Giants are, you know, are being recognized as as you know legitimate and sustainable. Um, there are still you know, there's still that undercurrent of you know I'll get that one Twitter uh, reply that's like they haven't hit their cold streak yet. Just wait, you know, it's coming. <laughs> uh, so I mean, you know, it's and 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 the odds are over a long season. Yeah, you will see some cold streaks. I mean, I I, I still I wonder how long they can go without losing three games in a row. I, if, could they go the whole season? I, I doubt it. You know, yeah, there's probably going to be a lull that they're going to hit at some point. But uh, yeah, they're, they're 20 games over 500. You know, they could be a 90 win team and go 500 the rest of the way. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I think how is a good question, um, and it's probably a very very long answer. Um, but but yeah, I think I think right for, for, for now, I think t- people are starting to accept that the Giants are just good. I'm digging into the numbers for an article I'm writing now about the fastest starts, uh, both in baseball history and in Giants history. And one of the the vibes that I get a lot is when I when I'm writing an article, there is this just built in, written into the DNA of a Giants fan. We're half of them, maybe more than half. I don't know if I'm just making up percentages, but there are a lot of Giants fans who are waiting for the other shoe to drop. Just it's that's how Giants fans have been wired. It's it's you know when you watch the Giants lose 1987 to the Cardinals, or when you lose when you watch them this 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 season, even the three championships can't get that out of your brain. And I was I, I think it's funny, but then I looked at the four best starts in Giants history, San Francisco Giants history, and in two of them. Uh, they don't even make the postseason. You got the 1993 Giants, uh, who were 48 and 24, didn't make the postseason. You got the 1978 Giants, who were 46 and 26 as well, same record as this year's team, and they didn't make the postseason. That is what's built into the Giants fans' DNA. At the same time, when it comes to the wild card and all the different possibilities and permutations, at what point do Giants fans get to breathe? I don't know. I maybe not at all, or 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 maybe um, you know. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think you can just. You know, like, it's like when people say, "Well, are they going to re-sign Brandon Crawford? Or are they going to re-sign Buster Posey?" Let's. Just, I mean, just enjoy it. You, you, you <laughs> probably you probably thought that, uh, especially last year and, and and maybe into this year, that this was going to be a hard team to watch. I mean, we were talking about are they going to be the first team in Giants history to have five consecutive losing seasons? And and so you know, I, I almost want to pull a Jeff Kent here and just say, just enjoy the game. Just watch it and enjoy the game. So I shouldn't go on fan graphs and tell you the, the percentage, the playoff percentage? No, instead you should look <laughs> ahead to the Anaheim series and see that on Wednesday, you can tune in at 1.07 oh, yes. p.m. to NBC Sports Bay Area and watch Kevin Gossman, who's 8-1 and one with a 151 ERA, take on Shohei Hotani. And that is, I mean... I know my press pass will get me into the ballpark, but I would pay. In fact, I think I will. I just just because it seems right to, to buy a ticket uh, to see that game, and that's going to be awesome. That is Disneyland. I mean, that is that is Disneyland in Anaheim. The real Disneyland is going to be Gossman and Otani. Uh, the Angels are a funny team because I, every time I look, it's like, oh yeah, they've got Anthony Rendon, and, and I know Mike Trout's been hurt, and but they've got Otani. Like they should be doing what the Giants are doing, and they are most clearly not. They're playing better, but. I don't know. I, I just it feels like the Angels should have gotten over the hump a while ago. Yeah, well, they got off to a pretty bad start, and they've worked their way back to I think they're at five hundred now, right? Thirty six, yeah, thirty six and thirty six. So, um, you know, it, it, it was rough for them last year. They did not play well. It was Joe Madden's first year. It really seemed like they just were not on the same page. Uh, they got off to a bad start this year. Uh, you lose Mike Trout, you think, oh, this is going to be uh, brutal. But yeah, you know, they're they're starting to play. 
a little bit better. And they've, they've got some pretty good players. Um, you know, Otani obviously is, is uh, has 22 homers, and he's a good pitcher too. Uh, Jared Walsh is having a, a really nice season, uh, first baseman that, that uh, we don't talk about a whole lot. And, you know, the pitcher that they're going to face uh, Tuesday, Andrew Heaney, is having a nice year as well. So, um, yeah, you know, it's uh, it's in the NL West, it's, it's, um, you're going to have to be tangling with an Astros team that's really good, and, and the A's do their magic uh, every year, and they're sitting there with 44 wins, I think, right now. So, you know, not easy schedule-wise. The Angels are almost, like you say, kind of like uh, in the Giants' position, and it's a really, really arduous division. And, uh, you know, they were going to have to surprise some people to compete in it. And, and maybe they're they're not done uh, being a factor. I think Anthony Rendon might be one of those hitters where he has a 653 OPS right now. He is scuffling. He is one of those hitters where I, I don't care. Like when he gets in, if the Giants have to face him this series, every time he's up, he's basically peak Anthony Rendon to me. At no point do I trust those numbers. I think they're made up. I think they're fake. I think baseball reference is messing with me. So that's one of those hitters. Every every so often a hitter comes along like that. He's gonna, he feels like he's going to crush every pitch. Yeah. I, you know, what? what is he? He's 230 average right now. Um, he's one of those guys that if he enters a series and he's not – He's not hitting well. He's a guy that you're afraid that you're going to wake him up, and uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it seems like it seems like the Giants are, are are really good at that. You know, they'll they'll face Nolan Arenado who's scuffling, and all of a sudden he won't be scuffling. And uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, but yeah, it, it, it'll be. I think it'll be an interesting series. They'll have the DH, um, like we mentioned. They'll face a lefty in the first game, so that almost makes me kind of wonder if they'll activate Darren Ruff and, and hold off activating Alex Dickerson for an extra day. Uh, because they don't have a lot of right-handed bats uh, uh, compared to what they can throw at you from the left side. I mean, we know they got Wilmer Flores that can play a third. They've got uh, you know Austin Slater, who's been scuffling lately, but hasn't really gotten many chances to play. Um, but they probably could use another right-handed bat, and I, I, I wonder if, uh, if we'll see Darren Ruff uh, for the opener of that series. All right, this has been episode 142 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. We will be back on Thursday, and we will know what happened on the world's shortest road trip. Uh, So we will see you then and talk about what the Giants did against the Angels. Thanks for listening.